All right, real talk. After so many podcasts with me, do you guys like this song? Are you sick of this song? Does it get get you energized? We switched the song for EM Weekly. I don't know, but maybe back in September uh, when we did that. And I love his song on EM Weekly. That like pumps me up every time. So it makes me think about it. I've heard this song so many times over, you know, how many years of doing this. That's a digression. Welcome back to Disaster Tough Podcast. I'm your host, John Scardina. I am doing part two. I've recorded two episodes today. One to fulfill the spot from last week. It talks about communications, and it was a strategic conversation. And this week, uh, what I want to talk about is school safety. Now, I've returned from the University of California, Irvine, where we did um, really cool things. And we kind of talked about that or hinted on it on other episodes but I want to talk to you about a comprehensive perspective of a school safety program from the perspective of Doberman Emergency Management, how we address it. I have amazing people on my staff, you know, Zach Boris, who is EM director of University of Vermont for seven years. I have paramedics on my team. I have, you know, master emergency managers, expert emergency managers who come from public and private sectors all over the place hospitals, universities, um, federal agencies, who name it, and coming together and creating a really, a truly a comprehensive approach towards emergency management. And I believe it's um, kind of a unique approach because we, we actually are stealing this term from another friend in the field, but creating that wolf pack of organizations that can come in and support your school program. In fact, I should have some of them on here. I think I've had one of them on here before, but It'd be great to have the other ones on on here, too. So school safety programs. We're in tornado season right now. Um, Luckily for most of the students, um, hurricane season uh, starts off in the summer where they're not in school. But we've seen time and time again that hurricanes impact during school seasons as well. And um, that's not even addressing the really scary scenario with the active shooter or active assailant event that um, can impact operations. One of the things that we are addressing around the country is the need for emergency managers. Please listen up here. The need for emergency managers to write the school emergency operations plans and not the resource officers. It is no discredit to the resource officers. I know there's probably some pros and cons to resource officers this is not about that or kind of their skill set they're they're but when i go and talk to the resource officers these uh, officers right usually police sometimes sheriffs i say to them would you want your fire chief to write your plan for law enforcement absolutely not right same thing would you want the would you want the police would you want the cops out there to write fire response protocols absolutely not right the same goes for everybody the emergency manager is the ultimate coordinator it is the ultimate collaborator it can take the law enforcement stuff it can take the fire stuff it can take the school admin and reunification stuff and put that all together so that everybody has a role to play they are staying within their role and it makes sense so many plans around the country are either written by somebody who only understands one perspective or even worse, they've hired companies out there that have no idea what they're doing and have like plagiarized 
like other documents. And it's really frustrating. So in order to dispel a lot of that and to do it right, my organization has come up with um, essentially a comprehensive system. I am sharing it with you. That means that I'm okay with you taking this and running with it. I want students and staff to be safe, right? It is also publicly available. If you don't really believe me, it's publicly available on DobermanEmergencyManagement.com. So DobermanEMG.com forward slash school dash safety dash program. So the school safety program. Okay. So if you want to hire us, great. If you want to do this, fantastic. Uh, Let's just start helping students. Now, I recognize that a lot of what I'm going to be talking about today is the 11th hour stuff, planning for the boom planning for you know recovery that kind of stuff there's an entire conversation that we need to have that we'll have here one of these days about making sure that disasters don't happen mitigation is like everything right like we need to get better at mitigation however we also recognize that murphy's law is real things break we can't control everything and quite frankly we don't want to control everything because that's not a world that I would want to live in. I wouldn't want to be controlled. I would expect people to, you know, be good people. But that being said, um, here are several areas that we look at in terms of a comprehensive perspective of school safety programs. Okay. Interactive maps and situational awareness. I love the idea of integrating Esri's platform GIS data with hazard vulnerability assessments. Long gone are the days where it's acceptable that you have created a Word document and you create your text box and you put in little dots and you think this is what looks right, right? That's a more very important. This is what looks right for the kind of hazards I want to focus on. This is probably high consequence, uh, high frequency. This is low frequency, low consequence, low frequency, high consequence. And you kind of just make it up. Can't do that anymore. It's unacceptable that we have enough data in the world and we know who our stakeholders are where we can capture that that geospatial data. We can do analysis on it. We can compare that to historical events. We can learn about ground truth from the stakeholders, which is kind of the opinion-based side of it. And we can put that all together into a phenomenal hazard vulnerability assessment. That is the hazard vulnerability assessment of today. Doing an algorithm on... Uh, the protection of life, property, and continuity of operations, and comparing that to hazards. And then be able to take that data and making it live, or at least a live platform so that you can use it all the time. Like, how cool is that, right? You're not just doing the static thing that you kind of think you know what you're talking about, but you have a visual now where you can, oh, let me see about the weather. There's a plume. Is the wind headed towards my campus? Let me see. So that's, uh, that's a great thing. So interactive maps, uh, with a hazard vulnerability assessment. The next thing, which is what we talked about last week or the last episode for communications, communication strategy, mass notifications in the media. Again, from speaking of last week, if you, if you think strategically, if you're creative, you have attention to detail, then you can overcome a lot of issues with your school district. Uh, the next one is reunification planning. So I have seldom seen a... A campus, whether it's K through 12, a school district or a university, whatever, have a reunification plan 
where the admins actually know what it is because they've tested it or what the parents even know what it is. If I ask the parents, you know, hey, where are you going to pick up your kids if something happens? Right. The school will say something hilarious to me. They'll say, well, what if, you know, there, there could be a security issue of telling the parents where to pick up their students. Are you saying that at your school where the kids are at every day, that if you have a catastrophic incident and you take that entire body of student over to your football field, which is very public and literally right next to the, the school, you know, there's an earthquake, you need to get out, that somehow that place, that plan needs to be hidden. That doesn't make any sense. It's public. Everybody already knows where your kids are at. And the, everybody knows that your kids are going to be moved out of that building out to somewhere outside nearby. And so what I would say, instead of making up what you think is security, or if you're talking to the, the school here, it's like, well, there's security issues. Ask them what the actual security policy is because they don't know. They truly don't know. They don't know best practice. And they're like thinking of like Jason Bourne or something. They, they have no idea what like, you know, what the reality is here. It's like, I already know where your kids are at. What are you talking about? So reunification. The reason why this is so critically important is because if you're if there's an incident at the school, if you have the a tragic incident where the parents feel like they need to show up to get their kids and the school administrators are part of the survivor body or i.e. the victim um, population, if you're using the first responder uh, language there, if you're doing that. What do you think the parents are going to do? They're going to try to get their kids out. We've already seen that in nationally recognized incident where the parents will go in, right? They will hurt their response potentially or hurt themselves. Hopefully the responders are up to task. But the, if you're communicating that to the parents, instead of the parents panicking when something happens, they can say, my school is ready. I trust what they're doing. I know they have a plan in place. There, I know where to pick up my kids. I know how to pick up my kids. There's a process to pick up my, my kid and check them out and to make sure that they're safe. Like all of that is so incredibly important. And the way I would talk about that is um, addressing that with like going back to school event, like here's the flyers, general information. But when you do your parent teacher conferences or when you're, you're coming up to your major season, whatever major season that is, for example, in Missouri, I would say probably around tornado season, we come and we we have a you know a readiness night where the school talks about family readiness and they get to hear from the local leaders, i.e. your police chief, your fire chief, and um, general preparedness. And then the school has an opportunity to say, hey, and talk in, in terms of this readiness perspective, let's tell you what we are doing to make sure that your kids are safe. We do fire drills, we do tornado drills. If something happens, this is where they'll go. They'll go out to the, you know, uh, the football field, for example. And this is the proper way to pick up your child. We will have teachers there. We will have uh, law enforcement there. You'll have to check in. You'll, you'll have to check out with your student, blah, blah, blah. All that stuff so that when there is an incident, if that ever happens, again, you have a plan in place for reunification. So huge. And it's missed out too many times. It is unacceptable now to miss out on reunification. Real quick, we're going to pause for this week's Disaster Tough endorsements. 
The L3 Harris Extreme 400P radio solves problems and is specifically designed for emergency services. How do we know? We field tested it with medical, urban search and rescue, and collapsed and confined structures. This radio is amazingly tough. Check out the L3 Harris Extreme 400P radio at l3harris.com right now. How do you spell Doberman Emergency Management? EOP, OEP, HVA, HMP, Thyra, TTX, Drone, PDA. Whenever you need an expert, Doberman Emergency Management field experts are there for support. Contact an expert at DobermanEMG.com today. Okay, let's jump back in. So the next one I want to talk about is a comprehensive emergency kit system that includes training. Now, Doberman is able to provide the bags, the training, the comprehensive perspective to allow everything to be integrated. So whether you need to stop the bleed kits or bleeding control kits in your hallways, you want to give a small uh, kit to your teachers. And so if you go on field trips or scrapes, bandages, that kind of stuff, they have something on place or your responders have the right equipment for an MCI or a mass casualty incident, whatever that is, they have the right equipment to be able to act. We also provide the training from actual paramedics and EMTs, even a couple doctors on, on hand who can go in and say, hey, this is how you actually use the stuff in the bag. Who knew that uh, we actually need to train people on the stuff in the bag. Um, the next one is active shooter awareness. Now, if you look at the data, um, the um, probability that your school will have an active shooter is so incredibly low. However, because of national attention and because we are not stopping these events and because they're going up in frequency and in scale, um, unfortunately, every school in the United States has to have active shooter awareness training, period. The teachers need to understand, the staff needs to understand best practice. It'd probably even be good for the, the parents. Um, I understand that schools use a trauma-filled approach to active shooters for students. I disagree with that approach. Again, you know, sit in the corner and wait for death. That is like the worst possible solution I can come up with, especially for a drill and um, a way to, you know, make people scared when that's probably not even the best thing to do. But that being said, our organization looks at a couple different options of like, we could do a tabletop exercise. We could do a two hour conversation with everybody. We talk about best practice and we also talk the other half is about prevention to make sure you don't have that incident. And then we also integrate with um, law enforcement and, and um, um, EMS fire to uh, make sure that everybody knows what to do during that protocol. The next one is the emergency operations plan. That's an obvious, you guys are emergency managers, you get it. If you don't have an emergency operations plan, you have you don't have anything, right? You don't know what to train for. You don't know what to practice. You don't know your gaps. You don't you haven't identified what to do next, and you will be in chaos without an emergency operations plan. The emergency operations plan should not be something that you need to uh, pull off the shelf in a response and be like, "Oh no, what should I do?" No, it should be a living document that's integrated into a school safety program. So it's not a dormant thing. It's like you're able to go back and look at different hazards and do different trainings, uh, get the right people in place, make sure if, when you have turnover, everybody's on the same page. So emergency operations plan. Uh, leadership and stakeholder coordination. School admins, uh, we know this. They don't know anything about this stuff. And um, rightfully so. Their perspective 
is the students and administrating education and educational services to students. And so one, they don't think about hazards all the time or two, they don't want to, right? They got into education because they like helping students, helping people. The idea that there's an active shooter or that there's a bomb threat or that, you know, there's a plume headed to their campus or, you know, an earthquake, all that stuff is not only rare, but it is um, so overwhelming to so many different types of people. And we need to get better at leadership and stakeholder coordination. And I'd refer you to my last episode about creativity and strategic thinking in order to overcome some of those issues that you might find with school administrators who push back against this stuff. So the next one is physical security surveys and uh, security cameras, reviews and recommendations. We, we have uh, worked with another company to create a custom app where we can actually go into every building and look at every room and capture all the relevant information. And the reason why this is important for physical security is because a lot of schools, universities included, will have to get grants to update door locks. They'll have to get grants from the federal government or from the state government to update cameras, to update you know, access control, all that stuff. And so when you're talking about that, you can aggregate all the right information saying, this is how many doors you have, this is how many uh, locks, this is the types of locks, this is the types of windows, this is the type of this, this is the type of that. And so while you're aggregating that, they can go back and say, okay, how many more do I need to get of this or that? And um, put in for a grant, and they can know the, the cost of that grant. Right, it can really help them out. Um, cybersecurity penetration tests and recommendations. We partner with another group for that, part of our Wolfpack, and uh, that one's an obvious one. Like cybersecurity is becoming everything. We've seen schools be completely taken down from that. When I see taken down, there was one school, gosh, where was it? Um, where they were hit by um, cybersecurity stuff and um, hackers, and it took so long for their financial system to come back online the school ended up folding. They couldn't get back online because they were locked out of all their finances. And so we partner with um, experts in cybersecurity to go in there and do penetration tests to identify gaps and to help their IT systems uh, be protected for um, you know, personal identifiable information, financial information, um, locations and services, that kind of stuff. Um, another one that we talk about a lot is severe weather protocols. That is uh, exponentially more likely than an active shooter, thankfully still, right? And it could be anything as simple as lightning strikes, taking down the power in the, the school. What do you do when there's no power and how do you get the kids out? Um, all the way through, you know, tornadoes or through, um, you know, uh, cold front coming in and um, getting the kids home before the blizzard hits, right? Um we talked about hazard vulnerability assessments, occupant emergency plan. The occupant emergency plan is typically unique for like government agencies or hospitals. I think this is phenomenal for schools. I don't know why it's not adopted across the board. We use it as a standard over here at Doberman because I want my emergency operations plan to focus on the operations, the things that you're going to do and the things that you're going to test. The occupant emergency plan is focusing on the people their roles and responsibilities, where they're going, identifying shelter-in-place locations or mustering locations. It's all the data that you can pair off of the organization and what the organization is going to do to support the emergency operations plan. And so that allows your documents to be smaller and concise, and you don't have to like you know look through these giant binders 
of information when when you can really pare that down. So an Occupant Emergency Plan um, is huge for us. We believe in volunteer response teams and organization and training for them. There are people inevitably at every organization who are hyper aware of disasters. Some of that is misplaced. Some of that is being passionate and wanting to make sure that they're safe and their, their, their workplace is safe. Volunteer response organizations allow that group of people to feel empowered, to be organized, and to not get in the way of the professional responders, right? To be a help in, instead of a hurt. And people with the best intentions can still you know, run down a path where they shouldn't run down that path, right? So we want to capture all the people who want to be involved for whatever reason. If you get an email, if you're at a school and you get an email from somebody who says like, hey, I got a tornado warning. I didn't know where to go in this building. I'm so concerned about this. I'm not from this area. Why didn't you blah, 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 blah. Instead of coming back and be like, well, you're an adult and you live in the Midwest. Like, what are you thinking? Like, of course, you need to know what to do in a tornado. You could say, hey, I love the fact that you're concerned about this. I would love to give you some more training. And I would like you to be involved in our volunteer response team. Right? What a, what a much better positive way to, to help out um, people who uh, want to be involved and people who have self-identified um, wanting more help. For example, people who self-identify with a disability that may need somebody to help them get out of the building or to stay with them for whatever reason. So fantastic opportunity there for volunteer response teams. Um, the crisis response organization. Now, for schools, I would say this should be at the district level. Because if you have one school that was hit by a tornado or by something else, the principal, along with those teachers and staff, are the survivors. They just saw their students who they saw every day get impacted by a major event. And so they're trying to process their own emotions. They're trying to process this, a stimulation overload. And so what I would say is creating a crisis response organization at the district level allows for other principals to come in who intimately know the response protocols to reunification, um, all that stuff, so that they can go in and they are the ones who are talking in front of the media. So they, they are the ones organizing um, the helpers who are organizing on getting students um, back home who are communicating with responders. And so that crisis response team can go in and support. Now, if you're a college university, uh, college campus, the same thing applies. You have one building that's impacted, but again, using a web system of support where you have a core group of people who are trained in this, like, you know, your, your PIO for the campus, your deans, your, um, your president of the university, whomever it may be, all coming together as that crisis response organization to support the responders who are coming up on scene and support, um, you know, continuity of operations for the, for the school. Speaking of continuity of operations, um, everybody should have a continuity of operations plan. This allows for delegations of authorities. Uh, this allow this is like you're like basically your one real legal document in all of this, where it's like if the president was impacted or the principal is impacted, who gets to make the decisions for the school? Who has standing? Who gets to to represent um, the school during a crisis and putting that together and making sure that it can communicate well with everybody? So communications plan. Um, or a continuity of operations plan. Business impact analysis. This is really applies to uh, universities, especially research uh, labs and universities. Impact analysis includes things like um, where is your grant funding coming from? Wh what is your most profitable 
area of your campus and what needs to operate, right? Is it realistically, is it part of your um, sports programs? We saw during COVID that schools were putting money towards more COVID testing for their athletes because they needed that money as an organization to one, survive, but two, it kept kids in a, in a healthy environment instead of back home and kept them active. So um, looking at business impact analysis truly is uh, incredibly important. Um, stadium and event guest access. We, again, we partner with another company about access control. And, um, you know, when there's a parent teacher night or donuts with dad or whatever it may be that, you know, who's coming and are they in the system? Is that safe? You know, who's everybody there? Also, if something happens, you, you have a list literally of everybody who checked in and, um, not only are you streamlining the process through technology, but you're streamlining the process in, in, um, in a disaster as well. So um, evacuation planning with mustering locations. I kind of hit about on this uh, several times, but you need to find uh, locations that the fire marshal will, will, will approve, but also to keep your students and your staff safe and that evacuation planning. Now, I've, I actually have this picture. I don't know if I should share it or not, where people... Uh, or, or a hospital I went to after a doctor's appointment, they put a card in every room. And the idea was that they would take the card out and put it on the door saying, nobody's in this room. Okay, there's m some problems with that, right? The first problem is that, are you really expecting a firefighter to go into a burning building to run down all the rooms to see if they, they have it? And two, can you trust that information? If there's a domestic violence incident and somebody has somebody in a, in a room, and they just put that card on the room. It's like, oh, okay, we don't have to check that room. That's not really that helpful. What's better on an evacuation process is to create area team coordinators and floor team coordinators where as everybody's leaving, you're doing checks as you're leaving. So if you're walking down the row of cubicles or your hallway of classrooms, quick look on either side of you. It's like there's nobody there. And if there are people, you ask them to leave. And if they don't leave for whatever reason, when you get outside, you're reporting to your floor team coordinator who's reporting to your building coordinator, or you can go straight to, um, you know, the first responders and say, hey, I was on the third floor. Um, there was a gentleman who refused to leave. He is on like the northwest side of the building over there. Right. So that's a better system of a checks and balances um, to get everybody out of the building as fast as possible without harming the responders. Um, Seaburn. Chemical, biological, radiological, hazardous materials, review and planning. Um, a lot of universities, one that we just went to, University of California, Irvine, they have a reactor there, right? But what about the adjacent ones? I think I talked about this with Hartnell College. There was a factory that blew up in Salinas, California, or had a, at least a, a factory fire. And there was a plume headed towards the campus, and they needed to know if they needed to evacuate or not, right? So just having that general awareness of your community of... Um, you know, seaburn related hazmat related incidents so that you can keep your students safe. Another great example in uh, California, for example, were the wildfires. Wildfires were getting into the Sacramento Basin or the Sacramento Valley. And it was the smoke was really, really bad there for like literally a, a month or two. And uh, it was 2018, maybe uh, or 2019. And, um, you know, what do you do with your facilities? You need to shut off the air conditioning. You need to block the air from getting into the buildings um, to keep people safe. And even then, is it is it safe to breathe in there? Um, 
things to consider, right? It doesn't have to be a terrorist attack. It just could be everyday stuff that you need to be aware of. Um, stadium counterterrorism training with DHS Safety Act. So um, the readiness lab, as you guys know, we provide a dynamic populations course, emergency management response for dynamic populations. We do this in concert with the DOD, with a DHS Safety Act. Every stadium in the United States should have this, uh, especially professional stadiums uh, and um, university stadiums where they need to get Safety Act certified from DHS. And there needs to be training for that. There's only one group that I know that provides that training, and that's the readiness lab. And um, so we're kind of the default there. But we also provide an amazing training of a crawl, walk, run approach that uh, really is stress activated in the right kind of ways. Um, the next one is emergency management um, program development. So if that school or university doesn't have a program, um, who is in, involved in that? What's your crisis response team? Where is all your emergency plans living? How are you doing testing and training? What's the frequency? All of that. And the last couple of ones here are um, really focusing on recognizing that when we say an all hazards approach to the client or the school, that what they hear sometimes is, hey, you think every hazard is going to happen. No, I don't. I don't think it's going to happen. And quite frankly, I understand a high probability low consequence, and I understand high, frequ or high frequency, low consequence. I also understand, you know, low frequency, high consequence, and what does that mean? And um, I also understand the priority of resources and time and availability and all these other things. So it's, it's really important that we work with everybody to recognize that in that space and to make um, data-formed um, intelligence or use data-formed intelligence, i.e. getting the right information to, to action that and ultimately using school safety experts to do that. That is the Doberman management approach to this. I've covered literally everything that's on the website. It's pretty long. But if you're taking notes here, then you can walk out of there and say, okay, I know that I have my EOP, but I don't have a reunification plan. I just gave you some ideas on that. Or I have my EOP and reunification plan, but oh shoot, like we haven't updated our first aid kits for a while. And he just talked about three different types of bags that you'd have and the training from that. And so I would implore you to explore those areas. If you'd like to hire Doberman Emergency Management, I don't really want to make the podcast about that, but we are available and we can help. We do go to universities in K through 12. We're more than willing to help out and meet you where you're at. Please give us a call um, that you can do that at the phone number of uh, 314-400-8848. Or you can send out an email to info at dobermanemg.com and ask, like, hey, like I'm I'm trying to create a comprehensive school readiness program here, or school safety program. How do I do that? And we can just have a conversation and so I can help you out there. So that is what I would talk about for school safety programs. Very passionate, obviously, about it. I hope that you can implement some of these things that we talked about today and get your your uh, school more disaster tough. Don't be afraid to reach out. Don't be afraid to ask questions. Happy to have a conversation with whomever's out there who wants to protect life, property, and continuity of operations for schools. And we'll see you for the next one. Peace. Student safety is one of the most important responsibilities of our schools and our communities. Ensuring that children are able to learn without fear should be our greatest priority. We must act to keep our schools safe and secure.
The list of threats grows daily. And preparing for those threats requires expertise and experience. There is no good enough when it comes to student safety. Together, we can make our schools safer for everyone. Whatever the hazard, Doberman Emergency Management is here to help you assess, prepare, and respond to today's threats. Protect your school. Contact Doberman Emergency Management about our comprehensive readiness program. Visit us online at www.dobermanemg.com. Based in St. Louis, Missouri, serving schools nationwide.